Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And don't miss our one-minute Exit Coach tip of the day on ExitCoachRadio.com. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a real pleasure to have you with us. We hope you're having a great day, and I think you're going to be very interested in my next guest. He's Andrew Carlton from Carlton and Alberola in Lake Forest, California. And Andrew's business is collecting money for contractors and subcontractors. He's a former general contractor turned lawyer. And when you think construction lawyer, you might think construction defects. And while Andrew does defend contractors from defect claims from time to time, his specialty is getting his contractor clients paid for their work. And I am fascinated in this topic because I have some situations I'm working on right now. So let's get with it. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Bill. Andrew, um, you're a former contractor and you turned lawyer. Tell us about that experience and, and your background and, and why you did that. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I was, uh, you know, not a great student as a young man. I, uh, you know, kind of coasted through. Uh, I really barely squeezed out of high school as a product of the L.A. Unified School District where they just kind of allowed, you know, young men and women there young adults to move through the system and so I was one of those you know blue collar background blue collar family and uh, you know they were I remember as a little kid my dad was of the belief that college was not for a man that a man needed to go out and learn a trade so you know my mindset as a young man was you know I needed to you know figure out how to make it in this world with my hands and that's what I did you know so I I squeezed through high school. I got into construction as a, uh, you know, right out of high school. I moved to Oregon as a right out of high school, and I got into the roofing business. I learned that trade, and that was the late '70s. I was Jimmy Carter was in was in the White House. Interest rates soared, and construction came to a screaming halt everywhere, and not just in Oregon, but I think they got hit particularly hard. I moved south and I started um, back down to where I'm from, the South Bay, and I started a small roofing company there, and I did that for a while. Um, ultimately, I, I went uh, into business with a guy that was actually on his way to be an architect, and we uh, opened a small design build firm, uh, mostly uh, custom residential. So we I did that for a number of years, I think about six years, and I was like in my mid-30s, I think, by this time. I kind of just was at a crossroads in my life. My wife, uh, I'm still married with, uh, became pregnant with my first son, and I just kind of had woke up one morning and realized that, uh, you know, if I'm going to I'm gonna support, you know, a wife and family, I better figure out something, you know, something else to do rather than just kind of go from, job to job. Not that there was anything wrong with the company. That company that I left or, and started is still in, in existence, but I just felt that I needed something deeper, you know, and so, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I just started packing away at school and I went to college and I, you know, went to law school and, you know, and I 
was actually, uh, I, I think I started college in about in my mid-30s. By the time I got through college and law school, I was 40 because I went at it, you know, full steam ahead. I was going, you know, nights, days, you know, you name it. I was taking every course. You were driven, imagine. yeah. You were driven to change. That's yeah, good for you. And did you know at that point, did you think, uh, you know, I'll get my law degree and then I'll I'll work in, in or for contractors in the construction area, or were you? did you just want that change? I just wanted that change. I had really no long-term plans to focus on the, uh, you know, interests of contractors. Um, what happened was while in law school, I took a job clerking at a law firm in Costa Mesa that did construction wrong and they hired me of course because i was a former contractor so um i warn uh, law students all the time be careful where you first start out at because you might find <laughs> yourself you know tw- 20 years later doing the same thing but sure i mean i have no regrets but yeah well you spoke the language of the contractors and basically you could you could um kind of sympathize with what they were going through i would imagine as a contractor so what is this why is it um why construction law? I mean, tell, tell us a little bit more about why. I understand you were familiar with it, but what what needs did you see that they have particularly that you could be helpful with? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I think a lot of contractors, especially a lot of uh, guys who are just starting out, and even a lot of uh, you know medium sized contractors, they just you know, they're guys, they're, they're blue collar guys, the guys out there. They work for a living, they work with their hands, and they get it done. A lot of them don't. Um, think about nor are they focused on the statutory things they got to do in order to, you know, they got to dot their I's and cross their T's to ensure that they're um, in a position to, um, you know, protect their financial interests, you know. And so I think what I, you know, quickly found out was that there's a lot of guys doing, you know, jobs on a on a handshake you know i've i've known more than one guy that's done you know you know a million dollar contract on a on a handshake and you know and 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 trust and i don't think there's anything wrong with that but i think you know in this day and age and i think especially after the crash Mm -hmm. back you know around 2008 a lot of people regretted the fact that they were just out there you know plowing ahead on a handshake and a and a promise. So, um, you know, and their 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 receivables are piling up and aging, and and they're you know it is a relationship business, and so yeah. you're kind of walking this tightrope between well, I want I don't want to upset them because they might stop sending me business if I'm a sub, but on the other hand, I need to get paid. I mean, this is getting ridiculous. So, what are some of the danger signs that you see where people should start thinking about calling somebody like you? Yeah. Well. Um, that's a good question, and I tell people all the time, you really want to call a construction lawyer, a guy like me or somebody else, um, even before you, you sign on the dotted line, because there's just so many contractual provisions that are that are always slanted in favor of the guy that's handing you that contract. And, um, you know, a lot of, I know, subcontractors contractor especially think, oh, you know, I you know, here's this 30-page contract, I better just sign it. You know, they obviously spent a lot of time putting this together. And what they don't realize is they, if they give it to a lawyer and let someone review it and propose revisions, the general contractor or even the owner that gave you that contract is often amenable to some reasonable changes, you know. 
um, indemnity provisions, payment provisions, change order provisions. There's a lot of there's a lot of wiggle room or, uh, that a lot of owners and general contractors have if you just ask. You know what I mean? But you have to put mm-hmm. it out there and. You got a lot of subcontractors, especially running around signing documents that they really don't even know, you know, what's in there and and how they're affected by a lot of those provisions. So that's where you mm-hmm. start. I mean, if you're mm-hmm. and and there's a lot of, I mean, the the law provides a very special place for contractors, especially subcontractors that a lot of subcontractors don't realize. I mean, how many businesses have lien rights? You know, how many businesses that can literally, you know, foreclose on property to have their money to get themselves paid, you know. It's right. not not a lot, you know. And what's interesting to me at least as a guy who ended up getting a history degree is that the um the contractors uh, lien rights go back to the original California Constitution. So, you know, way back then someone decided, hey, you know, we gotta put some provisions in the law to make sure that the guys out there, the tradesmen the guys that are using their hands to build this state of ours, that they have a means to get paid. Um, because obviously there was an you know, an unequal balance of power. You had rich landowner landowners and you had, you know, the the guys who worked on those lands. You right. Know? And Thanks for the building. I'm not yeah. paying you. Sue me, right? Yeah, that's right. Right. And yeah. So you know, you got your you know, contractors have a very special place in the law. They got lien rights. Uh, public works contractors, there's have rights uh, can make claims against payment bonds. Um, there's mm-hmm. there's there's stop notice. There's vehicles. There's these vehicles out there for contractors to utilize, uh, and but they have to dot their eyes. They got to cross their t's. And there's statutory obligations that they need to follow in order to do that. And so you want to go to a construction co- uh, lawyer so that he can guide you and put you on the right track. You know, it's a little. It's it's some. It's a cost up front, but on the back end, you know, if if a project goes south on you, you know, it's um, you know a, a, a great benefit, you know. So. Yeah, and that's the that's the problem I think for a lot of people is again that that tightrope they walk between the relationship. They want to they need to have some something with teeth in it from the beginning so that they have something go back to go back on because I've seen a lot of them get into a situation where they're they're really awkward about, you know, asking at the point and the receivables get out of hand and the next thing they know they're financing another company. Uh, it, it's yeah. it gets to be very difficult. So they need to have yeah. that those that teeth in from the onset. It's like a like a remember the old Mr. Goodwrench commercial where you can pay me now or you can pay me a lot more later. Um yeah. and so yeah. So, do you work with all kinds of uh, of contractors and subs? All do you, or do you have specialty areas that you work in? Um, no, I mean I work. If you're a subcontractor, you're a general contractor. You know that's that's in the wheelhouse because the same rules and laws apply to those categories. We tend to do a lot of subcontractors, um, and actually subcontractors have a lot more rights than general contractors. General contractors just essentially will have a breach of contract claim against an owner if there's a problem there where your your subcontractors really have um, a, uh, you know, a whole host of rights, even though a general contractor does have a mechanics lien right against the property owner. But um, I think there's certain trades that just tend to be more litigious 
um, just because they're kind of higher end. Um, you have a mechanical guys, electricians, plumbers. They um, they tend to be, you know, uh, drawn into a lot of litigation just because their trades are usually expensive and they're complicated, and you know, depending on the size of the project. And I mean, it's not really. Uh, I mean, occasionally you'll have a painter or you'll have a you know. A, a drywaller or something like that, but it's really the what they call the MEP guys, uh, mechanical, electrical, and plumbing guys. Okay, okay, and so uh, and that's of course a, a vast majority of of who's uh, working now, hopefully in the construction industry and in those areas. So, are there any uh, tips or uh, precautions that you would share with someone who might be listening about, uh, uh, you know, before they get into a relationship with somebody, here's some of the things that we see commonly that we would um, that we would uh, tell you to do or or to be careful about. Yeah, well, it's it's really simple if you're a subcontractor. I mean, like I already said, make sure you get your contract reviewed. Make sure you're not entering to some provisions that are just you know something you're not going to want to have to try to deal with later. And and then. You got to go out if you're a subcontractor. You have to serve your preliminary notice. It's a form, you know. Um, you can get them all over the place. Um, uh, you fill it out. You put all the relevant information in there. You, you have to serve it certified mail on the owner, on the general contractor, you know, on a, a payment bond surety. You, you know, it's just really simple, kind of straightforward things. You do that, and you you essentially you know, really um, set yourself up to be protected in the event there's any payment issues coming down the pipe. And then you just got to keep your eye on the, um, the the project because the um, the time frames in which to take certain steps to enforce your rights is all tied to the project's completion date. So um, you got to know. Like you might be a grading contractor and you come in early on a job and you get done with your grading and you go away and you don't have any reason to go back to that project. So you don't know the status of the project. You don't know, you know how close it is to being completed or if it is complete, but you need to know those kind of things because your lien rights, your payment bond rights, your stop notice rights, they're all tied to the completion of that project. So. I see. Okay, that's that's good to know. And if... Um, if someone, let's say a sub, is noticing that a contractor's stretching them out, let's say 120 days, you know, they're they're slow, they're starting to slow pay. What are some of the remedies? What are some of the first things that you might do to um, for that sub to go and you know, kind of talk to the contractor about, hey, we need to we need to get this down, we need to get this paid earlier. What are some of the earlier uh, remedies that you might approach? Them with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you you got to keep the lines of communication open, of course. Um, I mean, and, uh, you just and you really got can't take no for an answer. I mean, if somebody owes you money and you're done, and under your payment schedule and your contract, you're entitled to be paid. You got to you know be uh, persistent in picking up the phone and saying, I need to know when I'm going to get paid. What's the status? Have you been paid? Is a question. You know. Because like we were talking about a few minutes ago, a lot of contractors get in a situation where they have to take from Peter to pay Paul. 
And so if you got an owner or a general contractor doing that, well, he's not paying you because he's paying somebody else on his other project because that job is having some cash uh, flow issues. So, you know, you get, you know, if you're a sub and you get tied up with a general that's, you know, having some cash flow issues, you got to appreciate that early and you have to, um, and, you know, and the payment isn't forthcoming. I, I really don't think you have any choice, but you have to talk to a lawyer and you have to ensure that your mechanics lien is recorded um, within the time it needs to be recorded, which, again, is based on the um, the project's completion, completion date. Yeah. Um, I mean, it all goes back to completion. I, I mean, every I can't tell you how many times I've gotten a call from a contractor and I say, yeah, I haven't been paid and, you know, they owe me this much money. And my first question is, the job complete? Yeah. Uh-huh. And if the answer is if the answer is yes, how long has it been complete? You know, it's it's just really, you know, one of Great. the reasons I'm in construction law is because it's not rocket science. <laughs> you know, so it's, uh, <laughs> you know well, I'm a contractor. You know, <laughs> yeah. great information, um, Andrew. Tell us uh, about how our listeners can get in touch with you if they have questions or want to talk to you about a situation. Uh, sure. Um, it's, just, I guess, my phone number. Um, we're located, um, like you said, in Lake Forest. Um, phone number here is 949 954 6666. And um, we have a website, Um That's C E R L T O N A L B E R. Ola dot com. So, um, you well, know, you've helped us. Our, yeah, you've, do you offer a consultation? Somebody can call you and talk to you for a few minutes about a situation before uh, the clock starts. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if there's a contractor out there listening, needs to talk about any issue at all. I mean, uh, call me up. I don't have a, a certain. You know, I'll talk to you as long as I need to talk to you to figure out. You know, hear what's going on and. Uh, Try to point you in the right direction, or you know, if I if I can't help you, and uh, sure, yeah, there's no cost to um, call here and talk to us about what the issue is. Well, you're a great resource. You're also a Provisors member, I noticed, which is a well-networked group of over 4,000 advisors here in Southern California, Northern California, and other states. So I really want to appreciate uh, tell you how much I appreciate you coming on, and at at some point maybe we can get together and talk about some more. Uh, some more detailed issues, but you gave us a great overview, and I hope our listeners will uh, take heed and give you a call if they need your services. I appreciate that, Bill, and I um, thanks for the uh, interview. All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back after this, so please stay with us. Hi, everybody. This is Spike Reel for The Exit Coach. Business owners, can you name the eight key value drivers that you and your managers should be focusing on to increase the value of your business? Introducing the Sellability Score Index. Visit our website and answer 25 questions about your business, and you will instantly receive your Sellability Score, showing you how well you stack up in the eight value driver areas. It's a great management tool. It's absolutely free for our listeners. Just visit ExitCoachRadio.com and click Get My Sellability Score. Does thinking about what will happen to your business if you're gone keep you awake at night? Will you get the price you need from your business to carry you through retirement? 
The BEI Network of Exit Planning Professionals is the world's leading advisor network with the power to help business owners transition out of business on their own timeline and terms. Ask your most trusted advisor to create a BEI plan for you or visit us at ExitPlanning.com. That's ExitPlanning.com. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio. 